As we were singing there, the Lord brought to, uh, brought to mind a psalm, Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. And here's, uh, here's the specific verse that I was reminded of. Because of just how good it is, you know? How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. Amen? The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God and the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor His delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. That's where, that's where I want to plant my hope, right? in a place of unfailing supply, in a place where there is solid ground, in a place that never can or never will move to hope in the love of the Lord, not to trust in the strength of the horse, nor delight in the legs of man, but let my delight be in the fear of the Lord. Pray with me this morning, would you? Lord, we are grateful beyond measure and indeed, it is a good and favorable and pleasurable and pleasant thing, Lord, to gather with brothers and sisters in unity to sing praises to your name, Lord. Not just because we love music, although that is indeed true, but we do it, Lord, because you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of every breath. You are worthy of every word. You are worthy of every thought and beyond that, Lord. So now, Lord... Uh, in your presence, we ask that by your grace we would be worthy to both receive and to hear from your word. Lord, we thank you that through the blood of Jesus Christ you have made us worthy. Lord, and pray now that you would help us to receive, either through me or in spite of me, Lord. The wisdom of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're continuing on in our, um, in our series in the book of Luke, and we're in Luke chapter 18. So I encourage you, if you have your Bible, you can open it. Um, if you have your smartphone, you can get on our app and access the Bible that way. Or if you have a Bible on your phone, you can use that as well. But Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. 
And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Some translations of that last phrase say, so that she won't eventually give me a black eye. I like that one. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, um, I would suggest that we should never, when we read Scripture, that we should never ignore the obvious lesson that Scripture is communicating. Now, it's, it's tempting to take a passage, especially a parable, and to make application and connection in every point of the parable to some modern parallel and apply it to our lives, and with good reason. And in many cases, uh, we want to do that. It's a, it's a helpful tool. In fact, the parable was a tool to help communicate uh, uh, very uh, both basic and very deep truths about God in a, in a manner that was relatable, a story that was relatable. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'll pick up Scripture and we'll read, uh, I don't know, even one verse, and I'll be left with a universal head scratch, like, what in the world does that mean? Am I the only one? Yes? Okay. What in the world is this saying? Jesus, what, what in the world are you trying to communicate? Now, Luke, our gospel writer here, wanted there to be no confusion about what Jesus was saying here. Wanted there to be, to, to be like no interpretive analysis needed, um, no like pulling out the commentaries and studying the original language and cross-referencing all over the place. Luke was like, we're just going to remove all confusion here right at the beginning. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Lesson learned. So at the risk of oversimplifying the parable this morning, if we take away one singular lesson, do not miss the obvious one, is that we should always pray and never give up. But let's be honest. If it was that easy, I'd be out of a job, right? So... 
Let's ask the Spirit of God to reveal some truth here in Scripture to us. The, the lesson stands the test of time and it stands the test of Scripture as well. Not just here in Luke chapter 18, but the whole counsel of Scripture encourages us to constantly be in prayer. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 16 says what? To pray continuously. To pray always. The parable here, Luke uh, that Luke writes and the lesson that Luke points out at the very beginning is an, is an object for, for Jesus to teach a lesson about the nature of prayer. It is not a lesson primarily about the nature of God. We know that because Luke tells us right at the beginning. Jesus is telling a parable about prayer. It's a lesson about how to pray. It's a lesson about the prayer life. However we want to categorize that, let's not continue to be confused or let's not be confused. But uh, just because it's not about the nature of God does not mean that when we approach prayer, when we approach an attitude of continual prayer or persistent prayer, that it doesn't tell us something about our relationship with God and God's relationship with us. I would say without exception, and very few things in life are without exception, but without exception, um, at least in the church world, I have never met anyone who says that prayer is not important. Never. And I bet if I asked for a show of hands right now of who in this room thinks that prayer is important, that there would be a room full of hands raised. Okay, let's try it. Who in here thinks prayer is important? Come on, people, you're in the sermon. Okay, here. All right, so don't, don't, don't. Keep your hands up. Now, now, now put your hands down if you've never been frustrated in your prayer life before. All right, so, okay, now you can put your hands down. So, so we all agree that prayer is important a vital spiritual discipline, a, a continuous thread throughout the course of Scripture. It's important. We agree. Jesus does it. Paul, Paul encourages it. Like, it's all over the place, but we all also agree unilaterally that at some point in time, for whatever reason, we have experienced frustration in our prayer life whether it's not knowing how to pray or when to pray or what to pray or being frustrated that we're praying things and we're not getting a response or does God care? Does he hear me? Does he love me? Can I get an amen? Okay, we're on the same page. But I gotta just say, you know, like, I believe that when the Bible says something, God means it. Like, there's truth there. And not just truth because, oh, I see it in black and white on a page in a book that I've been taught to believe is true and right, but, you know, the, 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 the ultimate test of the truth of God's Word is in the person's personal experience and testimony, right? 
And, and I can testify to the fact that whether or not you believe the words on the page, believe the testimony of the man that when I have prayed, God has answered. And sometimes when I have, when I have prayed, God has not answered. And then a year or a month or a week or a day down the line, I've looked back on what I've prayed and I said, oh my goodness, thank you for not giving me what I asked for. Amen? But we got to know that prayer is important. James chapter 5, right? Verse 16. If any, you, if any one of you is sick, right? You should call on the elders of the church and they will lay, lay hands on you and they will pray for you and they will anoint you with oil. And the, the prayer, right, of a righteous man will make the sick well. Or how about 1 John chapter 5, verse 14? We're going, to be, we're, going to, we're going to park in that for a little bit this morning, but let's just be reminded of what it says first. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Man, this is not easy, okay? Listen, the truth of God is simple, never easy. Simple, never easy. Don't get the two confused, right? It's not easy. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So if I were to ask you the question, does God hear you? The answer is yes. Keep your finger there in 1 John chapter 5, because we're going to go back there later. But just in case we're not yet convinced that prayer is a common thread throughout Scripture, we see just even in the Gospel of Luke, where we've been studying for months, Luke chapter 11, Pastor Corey, remember a few months back, taught us a, uh, or gave us a sermon on, um, on the Lord's Prayer, on the patterning of prayer uh, taught by Jesus himself, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's a clue. Or how about later, in a couple of weeks, I believe Pastor Corey will hit this one too, in Luke chapter 22, where, where Jesus is on the, on the brink of being arrested and, and going to, to trial before Pilate. He falls down in the Garden of Gethsemane and begins to pray, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not what I will, but, but what you will. Seems to be a common thread in prayer, in Scripture. But the effectiveness of prayer, about the purpose of prayer, about the place of prayer, we don't deny that prayer is an important part of the spiritual life, perhaps the deepest and most intimate spiritual discipline that any person can involve themselves in. But we all admit that we have experienced 
frustration in our prayer. And if there is one word of wisdom that the, that the Scripture has for you this morning, it is this. Do not give up. Do not give up. Do not give up. When prayer is hard, do not give up. When when your marriage is falling apart, do not give up. When your children are walking away from the Lord, do not give up. When your health is failing, do not give up. When there are questions about your future, do not give up. Up when the bank account is in the red, do not give up. Persist in prayer always. And then Jesus told them this parable to show them about prayer that they should always pray and never give up. Do not give up. Don't quit. Don't turn back. Don't stop. Keep moving. Why? Because God hears you. God has not turned a deaf ear to you. God has not plugged his ears. God is not waiting for you to say the abracadabra magical password so that then he can respond. God hears every word of his Child, you know what's crazy about my wife? By the way, today's my 12-year anniversary, and my beautiful wife, like she does numerous times, is at home taking care of sick kids this morning. But let me tell you, I think that God gives moms these special kind of ears. All right? Because we're all sitting in here, moms, okay? And there can be all kinds of kid noises downstairs and all kinds of kid noises coming out of the nursery. But, but you know what? Um, if one of her babies cries in the midst of a building full of 200-some people, it doesn't matter how loud it is. It doesn't matter how many noises are competing for her attention. When that baby cries, she knows... It's hers, right? Like her, her ear is immediately attuned to the one that she loves. No matter how many other sounds and noises are competing for her attention, there is, there is no stopping her focus when, when the one that she loves cries out for her. Immediately she turns, and, and the Scripture tells us that, that God hears us, that our, that our praises first reaches His throne. That His ears are attuned to those who cry for mercy. That in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, where we, where we already read this morning, this is the confidence we have in approaching Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He what? Hears us. Now you have two options here, right? I mean, really, there's two options. Either God hears us, 
or God doesn't. Right? And the truth of Scripture testifies to the fact that God hears us. So we must either conclude that Scripture and those who wrote it were uninspired, not inspired by the Holy Spirit, and therefore there is some scheme of deceit going on, or we must come to the conclusion that no matter how much we think God doesn't hear us, right, no matter what level of hard-heartedness or brokenness or bitterness or anger keeps us in the position of, God, you're not hearing me, listen up, that he does hear that, that not a single word from your mouth or from your heart has escaped his ear. He has received and held every single one of them. There is not a tear that you have cried that he has not caught, right? There is not a, there's not a praise that has come out of your mouth that he has not high-fived with you. That every single thing, time and time again, over and over, from the time that you uttered your first word until you breathed your very last breath, God hears it and holds it all. But the caveat always in the, man, prayer is so frustrating. I pray all this stuff and it seems like God doesn't hear me and he's not answering me. The caveat in it all is what John says here in 1 John chapter 5, what Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, that there is such a thing as praying prayers that always get answered. You believe that? Do you believe that you can pray prayers that always get answered? That you can have a 100% success rate in prayer? It's not about it's not about God having to change, right? It's about us having to have our minds transformed to understand what prayer truly is. Not pushing the button on a cosmic vending machine so that you can get what you want, right? But, but, but tapping into the spirit and movement of God in your life and in the life of those around you. Even Jesus himself knew that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There's that funny word. That like trump card of prayers not getting answered at all must not have been in God's will. Even Jesus knew that the will of the Father was above all else and before all else and higher than all else and was the ultimate goal of his life and was the ultimate goal of all of creation from the time that, Je that God spoke existence until the time that Jesus returns that it is the will of the Father that is to be glorified most. Jesus prayed in Luke chapter 22. Like I said already in the garden, Jesus prayed in Luke 22. He says this. Luke 22, starting at verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. 
And on reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Now, whenever Jesus does something that you also do, you should, like, pay attention, right? Like, okay, pro tip, here comes Jesus with the prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Oh, it makes my head hurt sometimes, right? That even Jesus was subservient to and relied upon and prayed for, despite his personal circumstances, the will of the Father. Not only that he would do it, but that it would be revealed so that he knew to do it. Now, there's a, there's a funny thing in the church these days. There's a funny thing in Christianity these, these days. Whatever you want to say, whatever you're whatever your institutionalized um, category is, there's a funny thing where um, we believe that God exists for us. That, that, that we believe that, that God exists um, in order to provide for our needs, uh, to take care of us, to sustain us through this life, and get us to the end so that he can continue to sustain us in eternity. Now, that is not to say that God does not do that, nor that he doesn't enjoy or take pleasure in taking care of you. Indeed, he does. I'll tell you what, when I was a kid, I, um, I went to a, a, a Christian school for K through 6th. Great. And my mom was a single mom, and uh, I had a little sister, and there wasn't always uh, a lot in our house. My mom worked very hard, often two jobs to provide for us, and we had everything that we needed, but let me tell you what. Uh, somewhere along the line, and I don't know where it was, but somewhere along the line, I heard Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think at about age six or so, um, the desire of my heart was to have a Power Wheels. Knowing, oh, it didn't stop me from asking my mom, knowing that she, there was no way that uh, she could possibly afford one at that stage in life. But, but, uh, but I had heard this verse, and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> game on, God. Uh, desire of my heart is a power wheel, so I began praying into that. Lord, 
I really want a Power Wheels. I really, really, really want a Power Wheels. And I, I'm not joking when I say I prayed this prayer, I think, for a couple of years. Um, and you begin to pray uh, prayers like this to you know, understand or to try and um, receive in a in kind of a helpless position what it is that you feel like you cannot provide for yourself. And in a, the parable of the persistent uh, widow this morning, that's exactly what happened. There was some injustice that had happened. That there was, there was some in, inequity that had happened in the widow's life. And so she went to the judge, who, um, you know, we don't, there, there was no details given, really, except that he was not a righteous man. But we don't, know, we don't really know uh, about his position in the culture, other than to say that he was the one that could solve her problem. Now, the widow had, uh, culturally at least, nothing. If she was widowed, it means she was as destitute and alone and as helpless as she could possibly be. There, were no, there was no family of her deceased husband to come and redeem her. And at the, in the face of injustice and inequality, she had to rely on the one and only thing that she could, her persistence. Her willingness to not give up. And so her persistence was aimed at the one who had the power to heal it all, to make it all right, to take away the injustice. And eventually, after wearing out the judge, right, he answered her plea. But what is striking to me here is what the widow persisted about. She had an adversary, right? That's what the word says. Amen? Yeah. Verse 3. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So that there was, there was someone there there was someone in her life that was causing some tension. It was the widow, powerless, right, against the adversary. There was a roadblock. She went to the judge to fix it. Now, often in desperate states of mind, we resort to less than righteous requests of those who have the power to fix them. And the widow could have very easily said to the judge, I want revenge. I don't want this just made right. I don't, I don't want justice to reign. What my heart wants is for my adversary to be in ruin. 
But the heart of the widow was not a was not a heart of what would make her maybe personally happy. The heart of the widow was what is a reflection not of my happiness, but what here would be a reflection of God's holiness. And so that was her request. See, it may come as a surprise to us that God is not chiefly or primarily concerned with our happiness. In fact, God is, I believe, very hesitant in making us happy until we are content to be made holy. Until we are content to find our rest, to find our hope, to find our place in the holiness of God by being conformed to the image and likeness of His Son, Jesus, then happiness is a very far ways away. Uh, I've got a story about this. My, uh, it's our anniversary. Okay, so I can, tell, I can tell a marriage story. My wife's not here, so she's in the sermon. <laughs> uh, so my wife and I got married when we were 21. I had just graduated, uh, just graduated college. I was preparing to go into seminary. And uh, we have been together since junior high. So I think this is like year, how old am I? I think this is like year 21 that we've been together. And so we knew each other for a while. We've known each other for a while. Longer than we haven't known each other. Okay? And uh, so when we got married, we were like, it was the desire of my wife's heart from since she, as early as she can remember, to be a mom. It's all she's ever wanted to do. It's all she's ever wanted to be. So we decided, okay, well, we'll take a few months to just be married, but then we would like to start having children. So... Um, we, uh, we started to try to conceive about, uh, I would say, three or four months after we got married. And um, thinking that, well, geez, you know, I mean, pretty sure I know how this works. We should, you know, get pregnant here in a couple months or whatever. But um, so we tried first month and second month and third month. Okay, fourth month. Fifth month, sixth month. Lord, it'd be really cool if this could happen before Christmas. And uh, all right, okay, Lord, it'd be, happen, it'd be really cool if it could happen before this Thanksgiving. Okay, Lord, next Thanksgiving. Uh, okay, this Christmas, Lord. How about next Christmas? And uh, sooner or later, we got to about year six of uh, trying to conceive, and um, trying to conceive became our God. And it was, the, it was the trajectory of our whole life. We want to have kids. 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 And I, 
at the time, like, like our, our, our motives were like, Lord, you've put this desire in our hearts, and God, like, I really want to raise a son and a godly legacy, and like, uh, uh, teach him to serve you and to follow you, Lord, and so I, I can't believe you wouldn't want to do this for us, Lord, I mean, come on now, um, let's, uh, let's get the show on the road. And we were so discontent with our lives. And I was so jaded in my prayer. And I was so bitter at all my friends who were having babies all the time. That it became a point where like, Lord, just do it already. Would you? Year seven comes along. Year seven of trying to have kids. We had finally, after uh, four, four rounds of unsuccessful infertility treatments, finally had said, okay, we're done. We're not going to try anymore. It's over. Like all learn this concept of spiritual fatherhood through being a pastor, and Sherry will learn this concept of spiritual motherhood, nurturing other, um, uh, you know, little people or other women in ministry, and like, Lord, um, this is not making us happy. This is not, like, this is just not good, and so, Father, we're just done. We surrender it. We sacrifice it. This is what you have given to us this is the road we're going to walk, and we are going to walk it uh, faithfully, whatever we find on it. Maybe three or four months after we had finally said, okay, enough is enough, we had kind of made that declaration both to each other and in prayer. It was a very intentional decision of we're not going any further, um, that uh, we get uh, a random To spare all the details, we get a random phone call from a nurse at WCA who works in the inf or who works in the um, who in, in labor delivery. Uh, there's a mom, a 14-year-old girl who's pregnant, um, wants her baby to be adopted by a Christian couple. Are you guys interested? Sure. Yeah. And uh, uh, we met the mom. Um, she didn't actually have the baby when the phone call was made. She was about halfway through her pregnancy at that point. We met her when she was about 22 weeks pregnant. Um, we uh, walked her through the last half of her pregnancy. Um, my, my, my wife had the, had the pleasure of being her, um, being in the delivery room with her, and um, she was the first one to hold our son, Noah, who you see running around here from time to time. So, he turned five last year, um, or this year. Now, uh, that was the first answer to prayer, right? 
But it was only after we had come to the point of being like, all right, Lord, no more about making us happy. Lord, what will make us holy? Um, now, I think that the, the phrase, God has a sense of humor, is maybe is used a little flippantly and a little too, too often, but God has a sense of humor. Um, because now we have four kids. <laughs> and uh, uh, none of them biological. Um, but uh, equally miraculous, each one of them. See, I think the purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to our desires. Like, God, I want a child. This needs to be your will. This needs to be your will, Lord. This is what I want. I think the purpose of prayer is more in the transforming of our hearts to the place of God's will. Not, not, not Lord, this is my heart. Please make it your plan. But rather, Lord, I know you have a plan. Please transform my heart so that I may be holy. Because, listen, when we pray to God to make us holy, when our prayers become about pursuing the Lord in holiness, receiving the Holy Spirit, standing firm on the truth of God's word, then over a period of time our heart is so transformed by the Spirit of God and the word of God through faith in Jesus Christ that everything that we pray is naturally an overflow of God's heart. And when we pray things that are an overflow of God's heart, when we naturally pray the will of God, then what does the scripture say is that God hears and he answers. Now, I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot of lessons in just 33 years of life. And almost none of those lessons that I have learned have come through great experience or circumstance. I mean, because if I were God, that's the way that I would orchestrate life, right? That we all receive good things and grow and mature in our relationship with him and in just our actual physical life through positive circumstances. And that there would be no negative circumstances because those, we just don't need them. But listen, do you know that we serve a God 
who is so magnificent and marvelous and wonderful and powerful that there is no circumstance or experience or relationship or disaster that is not or that is purposeless. That there is that there is nothing that you can experience that that God cannot redeem. Amen. Because in every single situation where I have taken another step towards God, it has been a painful one. It has been a, it has been a road difficult to travel. It has been a, it has been a, a to use a phrase, a cross heavy to bear. It is almost never in the midst of positive, joy-filled circumstances or experiences that we come closer to the Lord. I wish it were different, but it's just not. So listen, we're not going to forget the obvious lesson this morning, right? Okay, let's, let's not, like I said, we, we, just, we just came a long way, right? But, but let's not jump off the road to the obvious lesson. And the obvious lesson is what? Don't give up. Uh, keep praying. Keep praying. Keep, keep praying. Because the God who hears you wants to transform your heart so that it reflects his own heart. So that you then bear the image and likeness of his son Jesus Christ who himself prayed, Lord, not what I will, but, but what you will, knowing that God's concern for me, even in the midst of the frustration of unanswered prayer, that God's concern for me is to make me holy, not happy. Ellison, I want to preview a little something about persistent prayer here in our last few minutes. You know we're planning a church on the north side of Jamestown, right? Amen? Now, for the uh, past several months, uh, there has been a team of people who have been meeting consistently week after week after week after week to put the steps in motion of making sure that come the second week of September, we're like rocket shipping in the north side. Lots of... Lots 
uh, has been happening just because it, uh, it hasn't been uh, talked about from, from this place right here. Um, don't be fooled. Like, lots has been happening. Lots has been moving. Um, but uh, we believe, and I think this was a word that, um, that the Lord gave Pastor Ben first, that, um, that persistent, continued, not giving up type of prayer needs to happen. Like, bad. And needs to happen specifically in regards to the north side and Conduit North, the church plant. And so, the scripture or the, the image or the story that was given um, as a model was uh, the walls of Jericho, the city of Jericho. Not sure what I'm supposed to do here. Be right back, okay. <laughs> Walk around the city seven times. Walk around the city seven times, and around the seventh time, turn towards the city and blow the trumpets. And let me tell you what, those walls are going to come crashing down. And Hey, do you believe that there's some walls that need to come crashing down for the glory of God? Thank you, brother. For the glory of God to be led into the north side. This is our north side here. There's lots of streets, lots of homes, lots of people. My desire, Pastor Ben's desire, Pastor Corey's desire, many of our desires is that within uh, three weeks, three to four weeks of the launch of Conduit North, that uh, we will pass by, literally walk by every single home and business on the north side, in this circle, while praying. Praying for the walls of addiction to come down. Praying for the walls of brokenness to come down. Praying that the, that the glory of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit would come like a rushing wave upon the city and redeem and revive them. And so what we're asking for is we're asking for people to commit to pray and never give up. But to not just be like, give the pat on the back and be like, okay, I'll pray. No, like, strap on your shoes. Meet us on the north side. Pick a couple streets. We'll give you a map. We'll let you know where people have already been. And walk and pray specifically that the walls would come tumbling down. And what I believe is that when we pray and never give up, when we pray that holiness would come like a mighty rushing wind upon the city, that guess what? I think that's a, God, that's a prayer that God wants to answer.
So right now, when this is fresh in your mind and fresh on your hearts, I want you to remember these words. Remember this time. Remember this day. Because those of you who are nodding like this to me right now about this idea, like, I don't forget. Uh-uh. I don't care if you can walk by one house or if you can walk through 30 blocks. I want people in that neighborhood to be like, who are all these people the last three weeks praying or just walking the streets? Will you partner with God in this? Will you? Yes? How about this? If you are, would be so bold as to partner with God in this initiative to walk, even though you don't know much about it other than what I've just told you right now, that you will partner with God in this initiative to walk around the north side of Jamestown and pray that the walls would come tumbling down. Would you stand so I can pray for you? Father God, turn your eyes towards your people. Lord, see and hear. Lord, go before us in the power of the Holy Spirit. That even though, Lord, we may walk in fear, we may we may walk in distraction and discouragement and frustration, Lord, that, that you go before us and that you are mighty. Lord, and like a, like a mighty wind, like a rushing wave, Father, send your Holy Spirit through these people and into this city to redeem and revive and to make new. Lord, reveal to us exactly what it is that we should be praying for as we walk through this city. That the walls may come down, that hearts may be healed, that lives may be restored. Lord, we are not going to give up. We are not going to give up. So, Lord, place in each and every one of these people right now an indomitable spirit of perseverance and persistence in prayer. That your spirit would ever be on their lips. And that we may see your glory. The glory of the one and only one who has come from the Father, full of grace and full of